Hey, this is John Arch, formerly of Fate's Warning and currently with Arch Matheos, and you're listening to Sonic Perspective. Keep it metal, my friend. That was awesome. Thank you. Arch right now, and I'm a little weirded out right now. <laughs> okay, so you and your old buddy Jim are about to drop a new album called Winter Ethereal. But before we start talking about that, I do want to ask about the nearly two decade gap between your Final Fates Warning album, Awaken the Guardian, and your first solo album, Twist of Fate. Like, what took you so long? And <laughs> and why did it take another eight years after that for the first Arch Matheus album to come out? Yeah, that's a commonly asked question. Um, boy, I don't know. It, it, it seems it is kind of a long story. A lot, a lot has happened, you know, in be, in between that period of time. Um, you know, when I left music, um, I, I don't know if I intentionally uh, meant to stay away as long as I did. But the longer I did, it seemed the more out of What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just kind of out of contact, out of shape vocally. I felt like, I don't know, kind of like a little, a, a bit of an outcast, you know, of my own doing, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the longer that, that you're away from, from anything, you know, a lot, a lot of things changed. After I left Face Warning, there was a, there was a time of uh, kind of just um, going back to normal life and doing things that I really enjoyed, like mountain biking. And, uh, you know, I work full time. I always have. Um, so I just kind of picked up with my own life. Um, and in that time, um, you know, I definitely felt the urge to be creative. Um, as everybody probably well knows, I'm not a real big feel, fan of the touring aspect of it. Um, but I always felt that kind of that need to create. And I, and I think it was like a, a brief point where I auditioned for Dream Theater. And it was kind of, you know, I had been friends with Dream Theater for a long time. So I was almost kind of like getting that itch to almost step, step up to a plate again. And so then auditioning for Dream Theater um, as friends, we kind of kept it on the, the thing where we'll see what happens. And it was kind of a, a loose thing. And, and if it worked out, it did. And if it didn't, then they, they would understand. Um, so long story short, I did, you know, audition for them. I was actually sleeping at Mark, Mike Portnoy's house um, after kind of a rehearsal or, or I don't know what you would want to call it, mm-hmm. kind of a short, uh, musical resume I did with them, singing some songs, and I think some of it was recorded and un- unbeknownst to me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I got up the next morning, and, um, you know, those guys, uh, they're all still, they sleep until, you know, mid-afternoon, and here I am, I'm used to my day job and stuff, so I'm up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and my, my, my phone happened to ring, and it was my wife saying that, um, you know, I just figured I'd let you know that that we're going to have a baby. So I'm like, oh, okay. Oh. So, 
Uh, so that was like, yeah, that was, I don't know. It, it was a combination of things being uh, still kind of afraid to step into those big shoes again, especially with a band like Dream Theater, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the way they tour and the way they work. It would definitely mm-hmm. be a lifetime commitment. Mm-hmm. So having that and then having that phone call kind of just scared the living veil, I thought, I mean, I had a, I don't know. I just made a decision right then and there that, okay, well, I have responsibilities that are coming up, and mm-hmm. uh, obviously, and I just felt that, uh, I don't know, I just felt that I wasn't ready to, um, you know, make that big, big step. And so, mm-hmm. after that, uh, you know, I don't know. It just kind of, time just went by. It just flew by. And um, until the chance that I had, um, you know, when Jim, you know, called me and asked me if I wanted to do something, and it ended up being kind of a I don't know why we call it a solo, a me solo thing, but it, uh, it worked out that way. And um, I remember having a lot of ideas left and really wanting to make what Twist the Fit ended up being an EP. Mm-hmm. But I, I really wanted to keep going and make a full album, but Jim had other commitments and um, we kind of had a wrap up, you know, with uh, 30 minutes worth of music. But uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So, I, I really, I don't know what took me so long. And I think it was probably a fear. Of, the biggest thing was a fear of putting my feet back, you know, in the water again. Because mm-hmm. uh, I just know, you know, um, what kind of big commitment it is, um, especially to do it full time. I never really felt that, um, you know, after my departure with Faith's Warning, I didn't think that was in the, uh, you know, on the books for me. I think you have a very, very good reason for kind of staying out of the loop. I mean, parenthood is a very, very big uh, and very rewarding commitment. But, like, the, you auditioned for Dream Theater right before they got big. And, like, I wonder if you might have been able to have made that work. You know, it, that's something that was, like, unforeseen and it's very possible. Yeah, they did get big. And, and I don't know. Um, you know, James Labrie and I are both different singers, different writers. And, um it's just it's like one of those unknowns. You really don't mm-hmm. know what would happen until it happened. And I suppose that, like, really deep down, if you know, if I really wanted to make something work, I, I think I would have tried. I would have tried harder, obviously, mm-hmm. by not being absent for so many years. If I if I really thought that I wanted to to have a a, a full time life with music, mm-hmm. um, you know, just it's, even in the short period that I had time from whatever early, uh, you know, eighty four till 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 87 that was like a, a huge learning experience too you know and that was that's like when metal was like uh, a lot i'm not saying bigger but i think mm-hmm. there was more opportunities back then yeah you know for a lot of clubs being open and it was like we were riding a wave at that point you know so mm-hmm. i don't know that's a good question it's kind of looking into the crystal ball and mm-hmm. um i i think i think everything for me anyways i think in in hindsight you know and looking to the future, I think everything, I don't think I changed much of anything. And things really worked out for me where I was able to live a good life here and pay my home off and, and, and live pretty good. And, and also having the opportunity to still make music, um, you know, working with Jim and some great musicians. Mm-hmm. I think I'm really, I'm really lucky that I've been able to do that. Yeah, things worked out pretty well. You definitely made the decision that was best for you and for your family. So, you know, who are we to complain? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people do, and a lot of people question question it. But it's kind of like you just have to take charge of your own life. And and when that road divides, you know, and it divides many times. It's not just you know one decision we make in our life; it's multitudes of decisions. But mm-hmm. you know, when that road does divide, sometimes it's just uh, it's an intuitive thing, and not so much based on 
fact, but you kind of just have an intuition, whereas you either know, you know, this is really not probably something that I want to, I want to do for the, the rest of my life, and, um, or maybe I felt that, you know, it's a huge risk, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> wondering, did I have enough, you know, confidence in myself or um, the music that I would be able to uh, make a full-time living doing that? So a lot of things, but I think in the end, in, in my intuition just uh, brought me where I am today. Yeah, it is really, really great. I think that you had that even though your first run uh, in music was so brief, you made a hell of an impact. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And of course, at the time time we were doing that, we were, you know, we're just doing what we were doing. I don't think anybody was planning on, you know, having such a great response um, to to the earlier stuff and having some of the really nice comments that the fans have uh, given us over the years. So, yeah, it's a, that's an, another thing. Hindsight isn't 2020. You just don't know. And if you asked me, you know, 35 or however long <laughs> years later, you know, do you think anybody would even remember your name? It's like, I don't think so. But, you know, it's, I think it's just a testament to the undying um, uh, spirit of the fans. It's absolutely incredible that, you know, here we are. We have, I have friends that second generation, their kids are into it, you know, and, it's just it's pretty it's a pretty amazing ride you know it was, it was really cool that's awesome so uh a couple of years ago uh in 2016 you did a few shows with the awake the guardian era lineup uh of fate's warning i was lucky enough to be at the atlanta show where you guys played that entire album the, the entire crowd was mesmerized the whole time but i want to know how it felt for you to be back on stage playing with those guys back here in the united states Okay, so why don't I just give you the truth? <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's all good. I mean, it, it was a great experience. Um, but as everybody knows that I'm, you know, the way I feel about touring, and it's basically because I'm, I'm type A personality and I have, you know, another not serious issue, but something I have under control um, that I deal with. And it makes performing, or actually not the actual performance, but the getting there and... Um, it's just the building up to the actual day or days of the show that is a, a really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we had a long time too. It's just like I think I had like a year to to, to start singing again and to to try to rehearse uh, singing the stuff that I wrote in my very very early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was hard to sing back then. Uh, just the idea of being my you know my age and and taking on trying to sing something like that was like, oh, shit. It's like, I don't know. I just said, you know, I kind of, when Jim called and asked me, I had that immediate, like, uh, gut-wrenching feel in my stomach. Like, you know, it's, it's basically fear-based. I, I don't know. It's just the mm-hmm. way I am. It's the way I'm built, and I, I just have to accept that. But I somehow knew that I, I had to say yes because, first of all, the fans have been asking for so many years, mm-hmm. and I really, I really owed it to them, and I, I had such a guilty conscience all these years uh, <laughs> by not going out and, and at least trying, and even if I fell on my face, um, that I at least had to try for the fans. Um, so, you know, I told Jim pretty, you know, when he called me, it was pretty quick. I said, yeah, we should do this. It's the anniversary, you know, an anniversary for the, and everybody else had already, you know, uh, stated that they were heavily into it and would love to do it. So I didn't want to be the only curmudgeon to say, <laughs> you know, yeah, okay, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do it. I just knew I had to. So, mm-hmm. um, 
And then two days later, of course, Jim called me back and said, oh, by the way, we're going to do a live DVD for both shows. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, you got me. You got me. So anyways, um, but how did it feel? So let me see your question. Um, the experience was, once it was um, said and done uh-huh. with me, and that's, that's the way it, it always is with me. Mm-hmm. But once it's said and done, I can always sit back and say, you know, I'm going to beat myself up. There's no question about that because that's what I always do. Mm-hmm. But um, but in the end, I think, you know, given all the circumstances that I don't tour all the time, that I um, really, in order to do something like that, that you really need to tour all the time to be in that kind of shape, you know, where, you, where you're going to sing live, especially that music. But I had in all the years. So taking that into consideration, um, I was, I w- it was a great experience for me. The fans were tremendous. They actually helped me get through the show, shows, and mm-hmm. there was a few rough spots. I don't know if you noticed, like, um, at Prague Power, mm-hmm. oh, I think it was Valley of the Dolls went, like, haywire. Um, I think I made it through uh, Fata Magana, okay, but I had a, a new in-ear system that I was using, uh-huh. and, I had re- and I had rehearsed with it, and um, everything was great. So our sound check was fantastic. Um, so it's like, okay, I mean, this is going to be good. I can be, I'll be able to hear myself instead of having those wedge monitors, which you can't even understand blasting on my face. I was kind of psyched. <laughs> um, but I guess what, you know, what happened was, you know, we went on and, uh, the mix that I had in my ears at rehearsal, mm-hmm. well, the first note, the first note we hit, it was like, what the hell just happened? It's like, all I heard was Frank Oresti, uh, on uh, you know, my left blasting in both of my ears. I had nothing else. What? I had just, I had just Frank Arresti full blast in my ears. I had no gym. I had no drums. I had nothing, and I had no voice. So I, I, I don't know how I made it through uh, Fate of Magana, but then we hit Valley of the Dolls. And the problem with that song is they're doing all these guitar harmonies and shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, and they're playing kind of. I don't know if they're going in five, and then they're going in four, and then six. I don't know what the time signatures, but I I couldn't I couldn't hold myself anymore because um, I looked over and and the guy running the sound uh, the monitors was fast asleep and he had a speed up on the board. Oh no! He, had his, had his, he was snoring away, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, what what the hell, man? So I actually got lost during the verse, and so there was a moment where I wasn't even singing. And I'm like, oh, come on. So anyway, um, I got back on on the bridge part. And luckily, one of the guitar techs on the side stage saw that I was like in panic mode. And he ran over to the board and um, and he started, you know, to bring up the levels a little bit. So at least I could hear myself a little bit and hear the um, guitars and, and such. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's just a little tidbit of how that, that show actually started. <laughs> so it was kind of a rough start, but. You know, um, I think, you know, instantly once, so I, whatever, I, you have to move forward. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, we just continued on and, um, and everything else was, was fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But again, and, and uh, so you asked me how the shows were, um, again, it was a long period building up to it, but once I get up there, it's like, I want to be the first guy to the top of the mountain, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it felt great. It really did. My voice, um, you know. I, I wasn't totally 100% happy with it, but there was not a lot I can I could do. Um, I just sang the best I could after not performing for for so long and uh, you know being older. And uh, but the shows the shows were great. Um, 
I think uh, it was one week before I hit the stage in Germany. I was uh, feeling super, super tired and really sick, and I ended up, I got diagnosed with Lyme. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what that is? So, actually, um, so Germany, I was on stage, and I had just started taking the antibiotics. So I was, I was up there with a hypermigraine oh, and no. not feeling well at all. But that's, that's life. I mean, it throws such shit at you, but I give myself credit that I got up and I did it anyway. Yeah. So you asked me how it was. There was moments of uh, stress. There was moments of total connectivity with the audience and serious uh, uplifting from the uh, from the fans mm-hmm. and relief and relief when it was done and and, and that you know um, you know we could say hey you know we survived this and and the fans loved it um, and they were very forgiving and I think they understand that you know many years have passed and mm-hmm. um, and they understand they totally understand and and. They are not thinking the same way I am. They're there for uh, the experience and to hear it live. And no matter what, you know, they're they're going to be supportive. So that was that's what I took away from the shows. Yeah, we wouldn't have been supportive if like you guys had just like not put any effort into it. But the effort was very much there. You guys were you guys sounded fantastic. There were minor technical glitches at the beginning. So what? That sort of thing happens. It's it's really not that big a deal, you know. You know, the crew corrected for it. You guys corrected for it. The show went on. Everybody was happy. But, like, I think that the most amazing thing about that set at Prog Power was your voice. Because it has changed so little in the intervening 30 years. How have you managed to retain your pipes? Man, I I think the the only answer I have to that is that I don't smoke. Um, I drink occasionally, you know. Um, I don't do drugs, and I mountain bike, and I road ride. So I, I keep my um, cardiovascular and lungs in pretty good shape, you know, when I'm climbing those massive hills on that mountain mm-hmm. bike. Um, so um, I think maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. And, um, but as far as the rest of it, I mean, I did have my struggles. There was no question about it, and I think it's, um, you know, uh, age, there's, there's no question about it that it makes things harder so you have to compensate by trying harder and mm-hmm. I mean there were there were points in, in time where I was right on the edge and I could actually hear you know towards the end of the gig I was definitely getting tired because you know you can rehearse all you want in your studio or basement or garage or wherever you sing but mm-hmm. until you until you actually hit that stage and you have to sing over all the variables. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way to get the strength that you need to sing live is to do it all the time. And, I, and that was a quick lesson learned. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot how, you know, how much effort it puts into running around and having your wind and, and that, the support system for your voice mm-hmm. and actually hitting the high stuff. Um, yeah. And the only, the only change that... Um, I had that was uh, very noticeable is um, the falsetto kind of screamy stuff, you know. Um, I was having a, an awful hard time, and I still do to this day now. I think that that falsetto kind of scream thing is really hard for me now. I don't know. There's something in my voice that has changed. Okay. Um, and the more I try to force it, the more it fights me. So I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, if it's age, if it's, uh, you know, who knows. That's reflux. It could be a lot of different things, you know. But... <clears throat> Or lack of trying to 
practice that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know that what you said about cardio makes a lot of sense because like I, I have read, I, I'm not sure how true this is, but I've read that back in the day, Sinatra, he was a heavy smoker, but whenever it came time to record, he would like start swimming a mile every morning to get his lungs back in shape. And so, and, and I think that you can really hear the impact because I mean, he never sounded bad. Oh, absolutely. No. And those are all like, not multiple takes. Most yeah. of those recordings are like one take, and mm-hmm. that just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, <laughs> barely. Yeah, that's unbelievable. The old school singers, the way uh, they recorded, man. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's the only thing that um, you know. And then there are times where there are some professional singers that I know, and I know them personally and well, and they're good friends of mine, and they smoke heavy, mm-hmm. and and they and they drink. You know, mm-hmm. um, not not all of them. I'm saying, but. So I was thinking of actually starting to smoke and drink and to see if that would help me <laughs> moving forward, you know. But um, I don't know. So that's I guess that's all I got. I think mm-hmm. I just stayed in shape as far as physically I stayed in shape. But um, there's no question about it that the voice, no matter how much you want to try to deny or fight it, that your the voice does change with age. There's no yeah. question, especially in a higher register. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before we move on from Pog Power, um, um, I just I just remembered right now. Uh, so I'm a photographer and uh, and like I'm redoing my website right now. And in the concert photography section of my website, you appear twice. <laughs> I appear twice. You appear twice. I hope that's OK with you. <laughs> that's that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, so full disclosure, uh, Ray Alder is a friend of mine. Awesome. Yeah. Thank and and he spoke reverentially of you back in the day. And and he spoke of sharing the stage with you like in 1994 or something when you joined him and the rest of Fates for a duet of the Guardian. Yeah. yeah. I remember. I remember. Yeah. 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 So he, he, he talked about it as if it were a religious experience. What was it like for you? Wow. Um, It brought back a lot of memories. Um, Again, I hadn't been singing. And it's, um, you know, when someone mentions, uh, you know, getting on stage, I immediately like, oh, shit. You know, it's like I I panic because, again, it's like you want to represent yourself in the best light. And, you know, you want to do your best. But Mm -hmm. you don't, you know, if you're not singing and you're not performing, then obviously, you know, uh, I'm going to probably be struggling up there. So I, I don't know. It's just one of those things they asked me, and um, I said, sure, why not? You know, I'll, I'll give it my best. And I think I had a week to practice, and I was like, oh, God, but that's nearly not enough time. But anyway, uh, especially to sing, you know, uh, a song in, in that key. Or, mm-hmm. um, but but it, was, it was great. Um, it brought back memories, you know, because I showed up there for practice, and those guys are always goofing around. And, um, you know, I've always I had an immense uh, – respect for Ray too and I love his voice mm-hmm. and um and he's just a dynamite guy too. And it was cool just being, you know, around those guys as they were goofing around and I felt a little out of place. My I had my hair was really short and you, know, you could tell you could tell I looked like an insurance salesman or something. I was like out of my element and um you know, and again, okay, so here I am putting in my myself in, in a place where I probably shouldn't be, but it was all about the camaraderie and having fun. And, you know, um, I guess for the fans too, but I I don't know. I went up there and I did did my best. I hear recordings of it now because it's all over the internet and I kind of 
I cringe, I just cringe and sink in my seat. But you know what? For it is what it is, and and again, I have to revert back to the fans. Just again, well received, and then I come off stage, and everybody's talking to me, and it's like it's just such a another, it was just a great experience. Um, and that's always been the best part is uh, mm-hmm. the camaraderie with the, the band members, and and um, you know, Ray was very gracious and. Um, he always has been, um, and the fans have always been very gracious. So it was, it was a good night. It was a good night, and it kind of like a, um, it made me feel good. Ray told me that some guy named Mike Portnoy was there, and that you guys literally moved him to tears. He he was there, and I actually forgot he was there. But yeah, he actually played drums, right? Yeah, he played drums for Guardian. Um, he did. I believe he did. Really? Huh? Yeah. I am like, I'm going to have to double check. Don't quote me on that, but let's double check because actually there's a video of it. So I think Mike played drums. Wow. Mike was there for that. Mike was there for that show. Yeah. And, you know, um, Mike and I go back a long way. Um, uh-huh. you, you know, uh, Face Warning was Face Warning before Dream Theater was Dream Theater. They were actually Majesty. Yep. Um, and I think, I think we were doing, we were probably doing Spectra Within at that point in uh, we're playing in Long Island, and I, I remember meeting him. He was front and center because he lived in Long Island. They all did. And after the show, it's like he came up to Jim and I and introduced himself, and he handed us this tape. It said Majesty on it. It's like, oh, cool. You know, and we talked for a little while, and then we listened to the tape, and it's like, wow, these guys are like, I don't know whatever the de- definition is progressive is, but we said, oh, they're really progressive, and they got the keyboards, you know, going on, and it's, um, you know, it was it was impressive. So. That was my first uh, meeting with Mike, and we go back a long way. I've been, I was invited, I went to his wedding. Um, we've been, I've seen him so many times, and we spent a lot of time together. But um, I, we both have a mutual respect for each other, you know. And he's a big fan of the uh, the uh, all all eras of Fate's Warning, and especially the earlier era of of Fate's Warning. And um, you know, I, I think you know with Guardian, you know, I think around that time, you know. Um, he had some you know, losses in his life too, and it just meant a lot to him. And he's always expressed that to me. So he's always been a good friend and, and a big fan, and as well as I have been for him. Wow, what a what an amazing story! Thank you for telling me that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it seems like kind of a no brainer that he ended up playing on uh, on a twist of fate. Yeah, we've always kind of wanted to work together and do something, so it was a good opportunity, you know for that to happen. And I'm, I'm glad that, that something finally happened, you know, because the bands have so much musical history, you know, Fate's Warning and, you know, and our friendship. So there's so much a history there. And it was just nice to be able to correspond and do something musically, you know. Let's fast forward to uh, Arch Matheos. The first Arch Matheos album came out like in 2011. Whose idea was it for, you know, for you and Jim to start collaborating again after like another eight year gap? Nine times out of ten, it's Jim's idea. Okay. Uh, and I'll get to that later later on. But um, yeah, so this this actually uh, came about, you know, for what particular reasons that, but the music itself that Jim was in the process of writing was designed for uh, Fate's Warning album, um, and for Ray. So, mm-hmm. um, at some juncture, something happened. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I never asked and pried. But um, Jim had called me and said, "Look, and I have." this music that I'm um, in the process of writing. And um, I, I don't know if, you know, Ray couldn't work with it or whatever the story was, but he said, 
is there something you want to listen to? And, uh, you know, and, and if you're interested in, and if it hits you the right way and you think that you could do something with it, you know, would you be interested in coming up and at least hear that? And I said, yeah, okay. So it was just one of those things. So sometimes, like, you know, something hits me and I just say yes. So um, I went up there and Jim, um, I don't know exactly, I don't remember what he had. Um, he had a couple that were almost completed and maybe one or two that were in the works, I think. Um, don't quote me that one either. <laughs> um, but but at any rate, he was playing me, you know, uh, what he had come up with. And, um, you know, I liked it. I liked what I, what I was hearing. And it was cool. And, and I was sitting in a, in the studio that I was really familiar with, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I spent so much time, you know, that it kind of felt like home. And it's in his, in his it's Jim's studio in New Hampshire. So um, it's a really comfortable atmosphere and, um, you know, we have nobody breathing down our backs and, and we can kind of let our you know creative minds work, you know, without uh, being under a lot of pressure for time and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so anyways, yeah. So then I, uh, I said, yeah, you know, why don't we, we'll see where it goes. So, you know, one thing led to another and, um, you know, I just started writing. Um, I don't even remember the first song I started writing uh, with him, but I know uh, Midnight Serenade was one of the early ones that um, I started working on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed it just seemed that the more, you know, once the nerves subsided and once I I could hear that my voice was kind of, kind of semi cooperating, <laughs> like you know, then I kind of know that okay, well, let's just assume that the more I do this, the better it will get. So and that's what mm-hmm. I did. Um, yeah. So then um, one thing led to another, and then one song led into the next song, and before you know it, um, you know, we had um what I thought was kind of a near a complete album with the material. And um, I, I was actually working on a song uh, acoustically, Incense and Myrrh. And so mm-hmm. I had that song. Um, I said, can I bring you another song? Because I think the album seems a little short and I wouldn't mind doing another song or two. And so I said, yeah. So anyways, I played him Incense and Myrrh on guitar on my acoustic. And, and uh, Jim is great. He embellishes and he um, he's good at, organizing the song and, and helping me along the way. So um, once Jim got involved, everything seemed to take shape. So Incense and mm-hmm. Murph fell into the mix. And then we had we had the full album. Um, I'm not sure of the time frame how long it actually took. But, you know, it seemed that album, there's no question, came together a lot faster than um, than Winter Ethereal did. Winter Ethereal seemed to take an eternity for me. But but uh, that's how that album came about. And okay. uh, it was it was kind of like off the cuff. All it took a phone call, and that that led to um, you know me taking out some material that was uh, written for Fate's Warning and putting my own twist on it. Hmm. You know. Yeah, and it was even the that incarnation of Fate's Warning that was on that album. It was just basically like Fate's Warning at that time with you. So I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We caught a little bit of a flack for that, but um, and it wasn't intentional. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's like we weren't. It's not like we're, you know, it's, it was a project. You know, and mm-hmm. it's not like we're we're forming another band or anything like that. You know, so of course there was a little bit of confusion with the fans and all that stuff, and that's why you know mm-hmm. when uh, you know they go say, well, what are you going to call yourself? It's like, well, we should probably just like stay away from coming up with any kind of band name or something. Just call it whatever. You know, Mateo's artwork, Mateo's any order you want to put it in, I don't care. <laughs> and um, and and um, that way there, uh, you know, but still having having the current um, Fates Warning members on that, it was great. I mean, you couldn't ask for better musicians. Nah. Yeah, they kicked 
totally, I'll kick, totally kick every time. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, okay. You just opened a can of worms a moment ago. Why? I always do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've done it again. Why is it that uh, that Winter Ethereal took such a long time? You know, wh why was that songwriting process such, you know, so drawn out? I have, I, first of all, it's a longer album. It's, I think it's an hour and ten, which I'm very happy about. about. I, yeah. always, I always like a, lo a little bit, not too long, you know, because uh, attention spans uh, tend to wane after an, an hour or so. So, But um, I'm happy that it worked out to be a little bit longer instead mm -hmm. of, like, uh, shortchanging the fans, you know. Not, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I just like to have a full album. Right. So, uh, so I think... Um, that it's a longer album, but also there was something about these songs, um, working on them where, uh, you know, Jim and I, when we work together, typically, uh, 99% of the time, um, Jim gets inside his own head and he starts the writing process with his musical compositions. Then when he feels that he has something to offer, you know, where it's in a raw form as far as, you know, whatever, whatever's designed for verse, chorus, bridge, whatever. He gives it to me, and I take it, and I listen to it uh, in sense, uh, over and over and over again, sometimes at 4 o'clock in the morning. And what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to get an emotional response out of myself mm -hmm. um, as well as an intellectual response for, you know, a subject matter. You know, it starts to hit me one way or another, and sometimes I'll come up with an album title first. Or not an album title. What am I talking about? Song title <laughs> uh, first, or uh -huh. or maybe maybe I'll start humming melody lines, and those will come first. Um, but for whatever reason, this album was it was very scattered in the way that my mind was working. Maybe because I was working on so much at one time, Jim would hand, he would give me something to work on. And as I was working on that, I'm always behind the eight ball because he's already beginning to work on something else. Mm -hmm. um, but along the way, um, we both, it's a give and take situation in the writing process. And um, a lot of times, uh, most times with the songs is when he hands it to me, I got to interpret it as a vocalist. Mm -hmm. And I need, uh, first of all, breathing room and you know, when I start writing, sometimes it takes a little bit of a different direction. So sometimes I'm asking Jim maybe to add a section. Listen, can you double up on that verse? Because I really like it doubled. I got more to say. Or can you, we need a break in between this uh, movement and another movement. So we need something um, that musically will fit, mm -hmm. but maybe not have any vocals on it to give the fans time to reflect, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot more of that in this album where the way the songs were composed, we, we both of us worked really hard at making the songs more dynamic and uh, more complete mm -hmm. and, and in a good way. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense of how, how I'm trying to uh, convey that. But it's just that, that part of it took a long time. There was a okay. lot of back and forth. A lot of back and forth on, okay, so maybe Jim... Uh, made an edit on something to send it back to me and if and if i don't like it you know he understands mm -hmm. um so sometimes you know we lock horns and sometimes you know it's easier mm -hmm. um but but this time you know and i don't mean it it's kind of a when i say lock horns it's like we neither one of us kind of want to budge <laughs> because maybe he, he likes part a better and i like part b better but somehow along the way, we'll come up with a compromise. Mm -hmm. okay. And sometimes sometimes the compromise actually ends up better than A or B. So then we end up both happy. So 
that's that's the way that this whole album seemed to be a lot more of that. It was like okay. a each song was almost like an act of Congress. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think anything in this al- anything in on this album came easy for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe mm. it's because it, Jim had just back to back albums, right? And mm. I've been out of it for a while, so I don't know for what reason. It's just uh, the music was really, really challenging to write to this time too. Mm. You know, so. Okay, so so you guys have been uh, have been working remotely then as you're composing this music. Uh, I wonder, like, I'm sure back in the day you kind of like did that sort of thing in the practice room quite a bit. Uh, have you considered doing something like that these days? Well, you know, really the way that Jim works and the way that I work as far as being co-writers, you know, Jim writing the um, compositions and uh, me writing the lyrics and the melody lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, like I said, Jim, when he when he writes, he gets into his own head, his heart, or wherever his inspiration comes from, and that's really alone time for him where he needs to be. And when it, and same thing for me when I write lyrics or melody lines, it's pretty much I need like quiet. I need to close my eyes. I need darkness sometimes. I need to be able to think. I need to kind of connect. Um, I need to connect to a place where it's a little bit removed from the chaos. Like if somebody drops something, it's like, oh, you know, you snap me out of my. It's not that bad, but it's like mm-hmm. I kind of need. I need my private space. So, being um, that we write like that, it's really beneficial. Where he does his aspect of it, and I do my aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Then when we're ready, when we both do our homework, then we bring it together. Okay. And and then we go through the demo process where let's see what works and what doesn't work and what we need to improve on, you know, musically, uh, vocally, vocal lines. Okay, I, I find out that something in my head, it worked beautifully in my head, but when it came out of my mouth, it was like, oh, shit, that's not happening. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? You've got to go through that process. It's not like some people say, look, I sat on the bowl today and I, and I, I wrote a whole song. It's like, well, good for you. I can't do that. It's like I need to, it's a pro, it's a total process, almost, a process of elimination, which you don't play, and, and, mm-hmm. and then what you keep. So, um, yeah, so I think it's better for us. We've always worked that way, and I think it yields better results. Like if we were both in the you know, uh, studio at the same time trying to do it, would probably be, wouldn't be productive, I don't think. It would be maybe okay. conflicts. And, and the, the only, I don't think I can add to that is like when I stayed over at Jim's, you know, in the studio late into the night, um, you know, after I was done with my vocals and Jim was like, laying guitar down, guitar tracks down for hours on end. I, I was privy to that. I, I, you know, I was just laying on a couch with the headphones on, listening to him work for a couple mm. hours, three hours. And it was pretty amazing to listen to him, you know, relentlessly get everything so tight and change his parts and ask me, well, what do you think about this instead of that? And it, it was just a cool experience. But to answer your question, I think, mm. you know, we kind of need to be in our own element to – uh, get our own shit together first individually, okay. and then and then come together. Okay, okay. So practicing in the same room would have just made everything even worse. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I think like back in the day, you know, when we when we did do that, I think we still we still operated in the same way. When we mm-hmm. we had our pra- we had our practice nights, and I think we practiced four nights a week religiously. And so then on the off nights, that's what we would do. We would mm-hmm. all go home, and Jim would work on his shit. I would work on my stuff. Um, you know, we, we'd all have our, our little cassette tapes and we'd take them home and, we, you know what I'm saying? So it was all the same. It was pretty much the same way back then. And then when we got to the practice room, you know, sometimes things would happen spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And that was some of the best, that was some of the best stuff. And I can say that about the recording process as well. 
like doing vocals, a lot of stuff I have planned, okay. but then all of a sudden, you know, something spontaneous will happen. I don't know where the hell it comes from, but it's just what the music moved, would move you in a certain direction, and you would do something spontaneous. Mm-hmm. I just out of the blue, and sometimes that would be, okay, I like that a lot better uh, than what I had. Okay, you have to give me an example now. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know, well, I, I, I will, let me go back to Guardian. Okay. Um, you know, in, in Exodus, um, you know, the, those high screens at the end. Ah, yes. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so that that was pretty spontaneous. And let me tell you, I rem- I'll just a fun tidbit. Okay. We were in the studio, and we started, I think, at like uh, maybe noontime. I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was still doing vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, I, wow. I think I was, I think I was like, I don't know, I'm at least 10 hours straight uh, vocals. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, so it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and here we are. We're at that point, mm-hmm. and um, I was so freaking exhausted. I couldn't see straight, but then at that point, it's just like, I don't know what happened spontaneously. I just hit it with everything I had. Um, and that's where those came from. And I don't know where they came from, the recesses of my ass. I have no idea. But it, it's like dug really deep for that. They came and from your own that, delirium. <laughs> I don't Exactly. But that was, an, that was an example of something that was just spontaneous that ended up being a keeper, you know? Cool. I haven't done anything like that in quite a few years. But <laughs> a little more subtle changes these days. <laughs> I know that uh, that Mark Zonder and Bobby Jarzombek both play on Winter Ethereal, yeah. but I don't know who else is on the album. Who else are we hearing? See, it's a good thing I have a list right here in front of me because you know what? It's been I, I forget myself, but I can't forget. So on, on bass, um, Steve DiGiorgio. That's that. Oh yes, yes. So just awesome bass player, absolutely killer, and he's Testament, Iceberg, yep. Sebastian Bach. He's yep, Status, Winter Sorg, yeah, so many, so many. Yeah, he's a monster in person, and he's a monster on bass, great guy, and uh, yeah, I think he played on three, Vermillion Moons, Wrath, and Straight and Narrow, um, okay. and then on bass also, uh, Sean Malone, who absolutely Oh my it. god. Uh, Cynic and uh, yeah. Gordian Knot, right? Yeah. Yes, Gordian so uh, Pitch Black Prism and also Kindred Spirits, which he, he just does such a great job on. Um, I, I will just state, I'll just say that everybody that played on this album just did such a great job, and I couldn't be happier with everybody's playing and their writing, too. Um, and then, of course, uh, the pairs from Joe Tobias, uh, original bass player. Nice. Um, from Fate, so, uh, he's a solitary man. So happy he was able to do that. Joey Vera, of course. Of course. Uh, uh, Wanderlust and Never In Your Hands. Um, and then on drums, uh, Thomas Lang, um, he plays on Vermilion Moon, Solitary Van, and Pitch Black Prism. Um, yeah, he's just uh, another one that kills it, and what a, a talented drummer. Just just uh, love everything that he, that he did. Um, I think he plays a lot of session drumming, and I'm not really sure of any band that he plays with full-time, but... At any rate, top notch. Um, and of course, it, nothing would be the same without Bobby Jarzombek. Mm-hmm. He's on Wrath and Straight Nero. Um, and every time I hear him play, I just get chills. So, enough said. And Mark Zonder, we're g- really happy to have him too. And a, a lot of fans were happy to hear that Mark uh, plays on Wanderlust and uh, uh, um, on Tethered. And uh, Matt Lynch, uh, another drummer who just absolutely shines. 
uh, is on Kindred Spirits. Um, I believe he plays a cynic, and I really love his drumming on Kindred Spirits. That's a 12-minute song on the on the end of the album. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a journey that one. Oh, good, oh, good, good. That's yeah, you've heard. I didn't. I didn't know if you heard him. Heard yeah, him I, yeah, I was listening to it uh, this entire morning. Awesome. Yeah. Um. Thank you, uh, Bard. Uh, Biard, I don't know, with two A's, Bard Akolstad, uh, played drums on Never In Your Hands uh, from Ooh. Lepris. Oh, and, yes. Um, he's got a very unique style, a killer drummer, love everything, I love what he did. Yeah. Um, and then Frank Oresti makes some uh, lead guitar appearances. Awesome. Again, fans are going to be really happy. And I'll mention um, that Jens uh, Bogren of Fascination Street Studios mm-hmm. and Tony uh, did the mastering and they did a, a great job. So yeah, there you have the, and Jim and I. So there you have the personnel on itself. That's a hell of a payroll, man. <laughs> wow, such it is such beast, it, dude. And the and the good thing, the best part about it is all these guys are like, you know, you have a challenge because you have different musicians with different styles, different sounds, mm-hmm. and of course, of course, the uh, the engineering and you know the final mixing and mastering. You know, it, it was a challenge to get everything to sound cohesive. But mm-hmm. having said that, everything sounds really cohesive yeah. with the playing, and um, it gives I think the listener a really var- a varied experience having uh, this many different players. But just uh, it sounds like they all belong together. Yeah, for some reason. it totally does. It totally does. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about some of the songs on the album. Vermilion Moons. Um, is there something about the atmosphere in Vermilion, South Dakota, that makes it appear as if we have more than just one moon? I don't know. Um, I've been to a place called Vermilion. I only saw one moon. What? Oh, there's actually a Vermilion where you... Oh, okay, yeah, now I get it. It's okay, South sorry. Dakota. <laughs> yep. It's okay. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now I get it. Okay. Yeah, no, this is really... um. I know it sounds plural, but a vermilion, vermilion moon was actually, I saw a picture of a vermilion moon, and it was so spooky with the trees in the back and the foreground, and in that song, I don't know, I just, it was more of an atmosphere kind of song after seeing that picture, and it turned into a lot of different things, but it's got, uh, you know, religious overtones, and, and, and it actually, um, I listen, I was raised Catholic, and I, I'm not a practicing Catholic, and I do not diss religion uh, on any level. I think everybody is, uh, I have respect for people with faith and all that stuff, um, you know, so don't get me wrong, but okay. uh, Vermilion Moons, Vermilion Moons, it, it was almost like, almost a sarcastic kind of approach to um, all, the, all the predictions that have been made over thousands of years, uh, whereas, you know, the oh, like and, about and like about the second coming and that sort of thing, Harold Camping types. Absolutely, yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. And, you know, biblical of biblical proportions, and um, and so this song is kind of a play on that. Um, okay. Whereas, whereas, um, and I I, I tend to. Hit on uh, throughout the album um, the ego of, of humans, and um, especially with Wrath of the Universe. But this this one in particular, I'm kind of poking fun at mm-hmm. um, man man and and um, and, and uh, you know with with predictions and, and 
um, maybe it's all the Catholic schooling I went through, you know, <laughs> that that made me maybe turn to this. But yeah, you know, if you if you if you read the real lyrics, it's pretty much it's almost like that story where the you know uh, the uh, preacher brings everyone to the side of up to the top of the hill, saying this is mm-hmm. the end of time. This is mm-hmm. the end of the this is the end of times for everybody, and they all sit and they wait, and the sun comes up and it goes down, and then it comes up again the next day. Yep. Well, it's kind of like that with this song, and and I, I'm kind of poking at the a fun of uh, that here we are alive and well and still here we are dancing under vermilion moons so it's a not not an anti-religion song uh-huh. at any stretch but it's, it's almost like uh, um like a um i'm trying to think of the word um a song of like just celebrating life and okay. not living under that uh, that black cloud of gloom and doom do you know what i mean yeah um, yeah and as you and as you read through the lyrics, you will see biblical references. You will see mm-hmm. um, things of that nature, and of uh, uh, worshiping and waiting and living your every fiber uh, for the end of times. I don't think that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and 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 again, I write to what Jim comes up with it and how it uh-huh. hits me. And this and this song, for some reason, when I heard that song, and it's kind of. It almost has those uh, kind of metal roots to it, you know, older yeah. metal roots. Stuff. Yeah. But also, also some, um, you know, intricate changes and some very, very spacey, eerie kind of uh, breakaways on, on that song. And I just think that subject matter, for some reason, it just fit the song, you know? I really, really regret that I don't have access to the lyrics, like with these advanced, uh, with these advanced downloads that we get of the music. Like, we don't see the lyrics. I, and like, your lyrics have like always been like one of the things that have set you apart from other singers. Like you might be the only lyricist in metal, like other than like Ronnie James Dio that has consistently written fantasy inspired lyrics that I not only appreciate, but love. Cause like fantasy is just not, not my thing, but the way that you do it and, and your command of the English language is vivid and fluid enough that I call it poetic. So yeah, like I, I, I just had to tell you that I had to. <laughs> I I appreciate that more than you know, uh, because yeah, a lot of work goes into all aspects of it. Um, but a lot of I, it's just, the lyrics are painstaking, and it has to fit the music, and it has to uh, it has to fit everything. Unfortunately, John and I had to leave it right there, as he had another interview lined up, and I had a kid to pick up from school. However. John Arch is quite a gentleman indeed, and offered to continue our discussion later that same week. Part 2 of my conversation with John Arch will drop in the upcoming days. Please remember to subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple, Google Play in order to get notified every time we drop a new interview or release a new episode of our Talking Perspectives podcast. And also, be sure to follow, like, and stalk us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to sonicperspectives.com for news, interviews, album reviews, and live photos of all your favorite prog rock and metal. This is Gonzo signing off, and we're going to finish it off with that cut that we heard at the top of the interview. From the new Archmatheos album, Winter Ethereal, this is Straight and Narrow. (laughs) 